It's good to be back. And I want to just give a special thanks to Josh for allowing me to, to participate in this uh, preaching tonight and uh, relinquishing the pulpit and allowing me to present some truths from God's Word. And uh, I just want to say, I know our minds are on a lot of this right now, but I'd like if we could get it on a lot of this. So let's open up to the book of James, chapter 1 and verse 17. We're going to use that as a launch pad for most of our thoughts. And uh, again, just want to extend a warm greeting to everyone that's out and just say, I appreciate that we can toss all the worldly concerns of our mind to come here and focus on spiritual things and things that are of God. As I said, let's get going. Open up the word of God to James chapter 1 and verse 17. And I want to say Christmas time, as we've we've already talked about this morning, you know, it's it's not really Jesus birthday. There's, there's no really biblical evidence of that, but it is a significant time for most of us for our thoughts to be spinning, and, and I just want to say that it's a time not, not to focus just specifically on Jesus' birth for a lot of people, but it's a huge time for commercialism. Everybody's mind is spinning about all this, decorations, the tree, the, the, the Santa Claus, the gifts, the, the reindeer on the on the rooftop and and the gifts and the gifts and the gifts and so since we're all already probably thinking about gifts a whole lot I just wanted to to pull some thoughts from uh, James chapter one and verse seventeen so that I could inspire us to to focus our mind on spiritual things in a time that can often become much too carnal and just count our blessings and remember where those blessings come from James chapter one and verse seventeen says every good gift. And every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Everything that we have and every good blessing is going to be coming from the Father. Everything that we could possibly need in our lives is going to come from Him. So I'd like to just present the question, what is it exactly that a person needs, really needs? This here is the way that a man named Maslow attempted to address this question. This is Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Here at the bottom we have physiological needs, things like food, water, shelter, rest, things like that. And God has certainly blessed us with that, living in America with the safety of being able to worship in this church building amongst brethren and knowing that we have the freedom to worship here and we don't have to do that in secrecy. And that's the next layer, safety and security. We we know that we have this shelter here and that, that we're safe. For, for, for the most part, we're safe and secure. But then as we go up the hierarchy, I believe that more and more we find the spiritual truths from God, God's word adhering to those needs that we need. Love and belongingness, self-esteem, self-actualization, higher things, higher thoughts that come from peace with God. And so first I do want to say that, that we have a lot of blessings that are down here. So I want to just talk about those for a moment. We have access to food, water, shelter. Again, we have this nice comfy church building that we can all worship in and, and have, have this good friendship and fellowship. And, and, and all that's great. Some worship in secret. Some are on hard chairs, on concrete, out in the elements, just worshiping in the rain and the snow, unsure of whether or not they'll be able to be safe doing that or not. And so we're blessed for that. We're blessed for the, the, the basic needs we have of food, water, and shelter, and, and all the various things that we need for transportation. And I just want to invite everyone just, just to think of some of the, the greatest physical blessings that you've received in your life. I know often we, we pray, thank you, God, for the material things that you provided, and, and that is very important. And I want to disclaim before we get going in, in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 15 through 17. 
First John chapter two and verse 15 through 17. Just want to make a disclaimer before we get in this verse. We should be thankful for all these things. And we, it's not that we don't need to think about these at all, but that we need to have priorities. First John chapter two, 15 through 17 reads, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from father, but it's from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God does abide forever. So we look at verse 17 and we can read here. The world is passing away. Everything that we have materially, the th- materialistically, the things that we are blessed with, that we always thank God in our prayers for, all the meals, the, the water, the shelter, the things that, that, we, that we adore and we cling to, that's all going to be gone. I mean, could you imagine if a tornado swept through and leveled Somerset, Kentucky? Maybe we all find shelter and survive. But what of all of our possessions? Think of the ruin, the devastation that would occur. Nobody's Christmas tree would be left standing. Now, I just want to say, is it possible that those feelings of anxiety that we have attached to losing our possessions may result from a love of these possessions? Is it possible that at times we may focus and love these things more than we love God? Is it possible that we start to find the things on the upper rung of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, the self-actualization, the loving and belongingness, those things, are we getting those from material things? If that's the case, we're going to have to rethink our priorities because we don't need to be carnal. And why is that? Because we're here to focus on spiritual things. And by here, I don't just mean the church building. I mean this earth, this life is so that we can reconnect with God. And so I know that people out in the world often value others based on, you know, the big old dollar sign on their forehead of what kind of clothes they wear, what their job is, what do they drive, Chevy or Ford. I'm a Ford driver. I'm a Chevy driver. I've got this Armani shirt on, and we find our identity in that. But that's not where we need to find our identity. We need to focus on spiritual things. We, we, we believe in Christ. We're not going to be like these people that find their identity in things that are passing away. According, in fact, to the APA, the American Psychological Association, those on the upper crust with the most material gain that are growing up with, with upper class and, and even high top 1% lifestyles are the most subject to higher rates of depression, anxiety, and even substance abuse. It's just obvious that this stuff just doesn't satisfy those upper rungs of the needs that we looked at earlier. We, for the most part, I hope we all believe in Christ. That's the only thing that's going to fulfill us. So we need to be focused on spiritual things. Young people, my people, could you go downstairs or upstairs or out of your room and turn the corner and see under the Christmas tree that there's nothing and be just absolutely fine? I'm going to tell you, sure you can because you don't need any of that stuff for your higher purpose. Let's go to Romans chapter 8 and verse 6. Romans chapter 8 and verse 6. Let's just draw some thoughts here. Paul writes in Romans 8, 6. To set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. I know. It's often that we have this, like, we have these different physical needs, like when we're hungry. I'm starting to get kind of hungry. We run to the fridge, we open things up, start looking around, what's going to be good? Or if we're 
We're thirsty. We get ourselves a glass of water. Some people even wake up from the comfort of their bed to go walk and get a glass of water in the middle of the night. If we're sick, most of us, unless we're, we're kind of stubborn, are like, I need to go see a doctor. Like, I, I need to handle this physical need. My question is, do we need to be spiritual? Well, yeah, we need to be spiritual. We need that. That is a need. It's not just something that, that is kind of like, oh, I'll get around to it. You need that. In fact, you need that more than you need any of the carnal things that we discussed before. So as we focus on that, I'm encouraging you all to give thanks with me as we unite our minds in this study to give thanks to God for the many spiritual blessings we have. First, I want to pose a question. Do you ever feel lonely? Do you, has, has any of you guys ever felt lonely? Now, you can't lie to me and say you've never felt lonely ever once in your life. And I'll tell you right now, I have as well. And for me, the biggest blessing that I have to fulfill that empty hole of loneliness, the loving and belongingness that comes with the fellowship given to us by God. Can we look at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 5? Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 5. I just want to say, you guys, the brethren, Christians, you're you're something else. There's not a people like y'all. I've never seen love like 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 the Church of Christ and the things that that have been extended to me from from countless brethren, from warm compliments, offers of shelter and resources and and teaching and instruction and so much, so much more than I could more than I could count. And I just want to say in Ephesians one and verse five, God He wanted us to have this. He wanted us to have this togetherness, this belonging. He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons. Through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. We. We're not just a bunch of people that meet in a building. And talk about God. We are a household. A family. And I know that I have a home. With each and every Christian. I just want to say. What does the Bible say about the brethren? What what, what does the Bible tell us about us? What what, What are some things? 1 Corinthians 1.10 says, agree in all things. Romans 12.10, be devoted to one another. Romans 15.14, instruct one another. Carry each other's burdens. Galatians 6.2, forgive each other. Ephesians 4.32, love one another. Love one another. Love one another. Over and over. The Bible drives home the point. We are a people of love. And that's how we're known. I just want to say a big thanks to God. And I hope that you'll echo that. For the fellowship that we have as Christians. Next I want to say, have you ever been unsure of what the right call might be in a phase of life? Maybe, uh, I don't really know what to do here. We don't really have to be. See, because we have a love letter written to us from the one who set up everything, who binds everything. God's word, the Bible, is a love letter instructing his people on how to live their lives. Let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 through 17. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. Most of us are familiar with this verse. Powerful verse about scripture. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. The Bible has been preserved for thousands of years by God. Just for our benefit. Through thick and thin. Wars, wars and wars. By God. Just for us. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. All scripture... Is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's just, just look at this verse. 
Just let the verse speak for itself. God's word. What can we get from God's word that he has given to us over thousands of years of preservation? We can learn. We can be taught. We can understand right and wrong. We can find our ways when we're lost. We're confused. Someone can come along and correct us using God's word and let us know, you know, hey, man, you're, you're about to walk out in traffic over there. Be careful. Don't do that. Wait till wait till the little man comes on the screen. You know, you can walk <laughs> and uh, we can be complete and put together solid and stable. We don't have to feel that fill this empty hole and not have a solution. We can search and know who we need to be because of God's word. We can do every good work. Every good work. There's not a thing you can do that isn't good that doesn't come from here. Everything that you can do that is good is going to come straight from the Word of God. God's Word is the standard that we crave and that we need. I forgot to move my slides. I apologize, y'all. Anyway, so has anybody seen this image before? Maybe from a first-person perspective? Might not be fresh on the memory, but as a as a child, um, you may have reached your hand out of this shiny red ring and thought, I, "It looks so pretty." I, I just wonder; it's kind of emanating this warmth, like my it made my hands cold. And then, what are you doing? Don't do that. Your your maybe loving mother, father, uncle, aunt was like, "That's gonna burn you," and you felt maybe. A little bit of sting in your hand, maybe kind of stupid, maybe needed to reevaluate your situation for a minute, and you might not have liked that, but that's actually called chastening. The Lord does that for us. Chastening. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 6 through 11. Hebrews 12, 6 through 11. Learn a little bit about God's love. People think love always means like a warm hug, but it, it doesn't. Sometimes there's a such thing as tough love. Hebrews chapter 12, and verses 6 through 11. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there for whom a father does not chasten? If you are without chastening, of which you all become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers that have cha- who have corrected us, and we paid them to respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I know. Chastening, it's hard. That smack on the hand doesn't feel good. We just read, chastening is not, no chastening is joy, joyful for the present. But the Lord loves us. So he has to remind us what is right so that we can become more like him and be better people. After all, we wouldn't be able to make it to heaven. It makes our thoughts perfect when he chastens us and reminds us of, of what is right and so that we can become more like him and share in that fellowship. We can actually rejoice in suffering thanks to the Lord. Who Who can say that outside the body of Christ? I just love suffering. Seems absurd, but it doesn't have to be because we can learn. Because we know that that smack on the hand is a lot less painful than those second degree burns we were about to get when we put our hands on the stove. And we know that we have a similar fate if we don't 
allow the Lord to smack our hands and learn our lesson. We walk up to that stove, we place our hand on it, we're going to be burned for eternity. So he, his chastening is something that we ought to be incredibly thankful for. Thank God for his chastening. Finally, I want to say God has given us something absolutely extraordinary. Something that almost is difficult to put into words. It's, it's, it's the faith that we have. The knowledge that if we leap to God and we leave our feet, He will be there to catch us. Hebrews chapter 11. Just, just flip over one chapter in the book of Hebrews. Chapter 11 and verses 1 through 6. Hebrews 11, 1 through 6. How does the Bible define faith? Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things that are not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he could not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Faith is the conviction of things not seen. Romans 10, 17 says that the faith that we have in God comes from his word to us that we already expressed before that we're, we need to be so thankful for. See, through the faith that we obtain through God's word, we have that unity, the fellowship that we discussed earlier. Faith can move us onward to act. In fact, it always does. Faith without works is dead. Faith assures us. Faith makes our steps steady and lets us know who we are and who one day we can become. Faith is the trust in God that allows us to live free from the fear of any physical harm or death. I know that I've spent a long time talking about the spiritual blessings and not much on the physical. And so I think it makes it obvious the answer to the question when I ask to you, what is it that we can actually hold on to? What's stable? What's firm? What do we need to focus on? Even in these hectic holiday seasons. Colossians 3 and verse 2. Colossians 3, 2 Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. We're not going to be able to appreciate any of the, the earthly things that we have if we don't know the one that has given it to us. And why? Because everything good comes from God. This holiday season, it's so easy to become carnal, to be wrapped up in all the gifts and the presents and, and, and this and that. And, and, and what, what, do you, what do we have to get done? We have to check off the grocery list. Got to go shopping at 1 a.m. into the grocery and, 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 you know, bring back all this stuff for your family. And so, you know, got to slow down. Got to take some quiet time. Got to steady our minds and set our minds on things above. Because it's not just this holiday season that it's easy to become carnal. If we're not careful, we'll find ourselves making excuses. Things like, I've just got so much to do at school, so much bad influences in my life, so many things going on in my job that i just got to handle. I've got, I've got to, uh, the people around me don't make it easy to be spiritual. None of that is an adequate reason or excuse for why you shouldn't be a spiritual individual and focused on God and His many blessings. If God is their true priority, we don't need to worry about anything. And that said, I'd just like to take a moment if we could take a, 
just a moment of prayer. If, if you would allow me to lead you in prayer, please bow so that we can address God and thank Him for all the things that we receive from Him. Dear Heavenly Father, we as a congregation know that you are the giver of all things and that in this holiday season it's so easy for us to be swept up in all of this and that as we fix our minds on heaven, we leave behind the carnal things and we aim to grow up into him who is the head and become a spiritual people. Lord, we're thankful that we can have fellowship in Jesus the Christ. We're thankful for your precious word that gives us guidance in our lives and teaches us what is right, Lord. We're thankful that you chasten us and reprove us and show us the paths that are right, Lord. And we're thankful for the faith that we have that comes through all these and the spiritual blessings that you've given us and just help us to grow up into Jesus the Christ so that we could obtain the same mindset as him that we would suffer even unto death for you, Lord, and give our entire lives and our whole being to you in return for all the gifts that you've given us. Help us to suffer alongside Christ and grow with him. In his name, amen. Now I want to say, just to wrap up, Christmas has too often become a time of taking for us, especially for us younger folks. We think about Christmas as a time to receive gifts, but the Bible tells us it's more blessed to give than to receive in Acts chapter 20 and verse 35. But the question that I'm posing to you now, and the big question of this entire message is, what do you give the man who has everything? See, Jesus, he once had and now has everything, all authority in heaven. But he abandoned all of that and gave that all up for our sake. He suffered and died a bloody and horrific death on the cross. He was deprived of all of the needs that we discussed, all the physical needs that we discussed, even, even just, just basic common respect and decency for our sake. Can we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, please? 1 Corinthians 13 and look at verses 4 through 7. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Jesus loved us. And this is a passage about love. But the Greek word that's used for love here, I'm sure many people know. Agape. The Greek word that's used here for love can mean sacrifice. And it can also mean charity. And that's all that a gift is, isn't it? A sacrifice. An extension of charity. Let's just read here. And this, and this is out of the King James Version because I like that it translated, translates it as charity. Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. You want to see an image of someone who would give you perfect charity, who would endure anything for you. Right there. That's it. That's the greatest gift that you could ever receive, and that is everything that anyone could ever need. Jesus the Christ. Jesus loved us. He embodied the charity described in that passage. And so I ask again, what do you give the man who has everything? And the answer... Love. Perfect love. Because there's no other response. 
If you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that He loved you enough to give up everything, I would implore you now, the way to salvation is open. Jesus the Christ was faithful unto death, even on a cross. Romans 6.23 reads that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The free gift of God will come to you if you're willing to repent of your sins, confess Jesus as Lord, as the giver of your salvation. And be buried in the waters of baptism. Walk in newness of life with him. I ask to those in attendance. Do you love this man? Do you believe that he loves you? See we aren't guaranteed the gift. Of tomorrow. But there is a gift. That will keep on giving. The gift. Of eternal life. Come be thankful as we stand and sing.